Halo teman-teman, sekarang saya Rainer di Startup Talk. Sekarang kita bersama dengan Korean Morris di sini. Uh, Oke, okay, saya akan beri Korean Morris uh, penjelasan sedikit. Okay, Corian Morris. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself right now? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Corian Morris. Uh, I currently uh, do business development at Zulily, uh, but my background is in the startup space. So mm-hmm. you know, really, for as long as I can remember, I've been an entrepreneur. I've been interested in startups. So you know, in high school, um, you know, I did a small training business where I trained different people. Uh, on how to perform, uh, improve their athletic abilities, okay. you know, and so even before I knew what entrepreneurship was, I think I was kind of uh, being since an entrepreneur. Yeah, really since, since high school. But um, I would say, you know, I really kind of got my feet wet my freshman year of college. Freshman and so, year. yeah, I was I was a student athlete and mm-hmm. I bought a car uh, as a freshman, okay. kind of customized the car a little bit. And, and one day I was driving down the road uh, and saw another guy with a similar car. And for whatever reason, we pulled over on the side of the road and started talking. And his name was Bill. Uh, and he was actually in the process of starting, founding his first company called C3 Motorsports. And, C3 Motorsports. Yeah. Okay. And they specialize in doing automotive customization for the LX platform of vehicles. So really, this was in 2006. So this was you know the Dodge Charger, the Chrysler 300, and Dodge mm-hmm. Magnum. And um, you know I taught myself in high school how to do you know graphic design, Photoshop, web development, different things like that. And so he was getting ready to start this business, and he needed somebody to come alongside and help with their marketing, some e-commerce. Mm-hmm. And so really, as a as a freshman in college, uh, I joined his team as an intern initially to really kind of help them uh, develop a digital presence, develop mm-hmm. the e-commerce strategy, and all of that. Um, and really, ultimately, ended up becoming uh, you know full time employee for them, uh, you know, while I was in school over the next few years. And, and that really piqued my interest, uh, that one, eventually I'd like to open up my own business. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, in college, uh, in my junior year, I started doing some kind of side things, uh, some kind of side projects. So I did some custom lighting for people. Um, I did, you know, some, some custom painting, different things like that. Right. But for uh, automotive itself. Right? Yeah. For automotive stuff, really just out of my garage. Okay. And, uh, with the goal of eventually kind of building a portfolio and being mm-hmm. able to launch my own business. So in 2011, I finished my undergraduate at university of Arizona. I moved back up to Seattle uh, and I started my first business masonry automotive group. Okay. Interesting there. So it started out from your hobby itself and it grew out into the automotive side of it yeah absolutely so i would say you know when i was when i was in arizona and i saw that you could do stuff with cars and get mm-hmm. paid for it um that kind of became the dream scenario of you know working with something i love cars kind of naturally and uh-huh. so uh, doing something where uh, i could do both of them and so really the, the the thought process in founding masonry was you know i was really into i'm kind of a, a tech guy so i really like technology and gadgets and different things like that and so i wanted to marry kind of my passion of technology uh in cars and so mm-hmm. i founded that shop really focusing on high-end electronic integration and so this is around 2011 and what you started to see happen in the market was um, you know manufacturers let's say lexus or, or mercedes they're making it increasingly difficult to integrate new stereo systems into cars for example okay. uh, so you know historically you might have a doubled in radio you could pull that out and put a new one in uh, now you can't do that anymore and so what i was doing is specializing in and really doing kind of high-end installs Um, and because I didn't have a lot of funding at that time, um, I really kind of coined this term of, you know, highly personalized service. So I knew that I couldn't compete with, you know, Best Buy or Car Toys or any of those places. And so really what I did instead is I told customers, Hey, you know, when you bring your car into my shop, I'm 
only working on your car. I'm not working on anybody else's car. So you get 100% of my attention. Um, you're going to get really, you know, just the best service you can get, but I'm going to charge you a lot in exchange for that. But ultimately I think that served us, you know, really well. How long did it last the masonry group? Yeah. So I, we lasted, um, we ran, you know, really, I would say starting in my garage in Arizona, you know, probably around 2009. Okay. Uh, and, and you moved I, it to Seattle as well? I moved to Seattle. Um, okay. Really, you know, the, the focus uh, when I was in Arizona was, You know, it was kind of a side thing. So really, it was just bring mm-hmm. some extra money and kind of develop a portfolio. Uh, I ran the business uh, through 2015 uh, full time. Um, so, you know, eventually, so I did, you know, these kind of high end electronics. Eventually, I had a customer come in, uh, Dave, and, you know, he initially reached out to me to have some custom lights done. And, you know, I did the lights. Mm-hmm. He's really happy. And then he said, hey, you know, do you know somebody that can do a stereo for me? And actually, at that point in time, I hadn't, I didn't do stereos yet, but You know, I wanted the money. And so I said, sure, I'll do a stereo for you. So you learned from that as well. Yeah. And so, so I did a stereo for him. And, um, and you know, he kept coming up with more and more things for me to do. And so eventually I asked him, I said, hey, Dave, you know, your car has been at my shop for six months. Um, it seems like you don't want it to leave. Why? Mm-hmm. And you really just kind of dug into that with him. And what I discovered was, you know, he had spent you know close to $100,000 on his car at another shop. And he felt like that shop didn't prioritize his car in the way that they should have. And oh, so um, what he really appreciated about what we did for him is, you know, we were the only people, uh, we were only focusing on his car. And that gave me some insight into a pivot that we ultimately end up doing to where, um, you know, instead of just doing really high-end electronics, what I did instead is I focused on really personalized service for customers mm-hmm. and doing kind of comprehensive builds. So um, you know, ultimately, we ended up finishing Dave's car and doing a lot of different things that we wouldn't have traditionally done mm-hmm. uh, and really positioned the business into... Uh, doing you know anything that you can imagine. So let's say, um, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a customer uh, who was actually a friend of mine from undergraduate. He lived in the Middle East, so in the UAE. Okay. And uh, he reached out and said, hey, I want you to build me a Mustang. And uh, so we went out, we found him a 1965 Ford Fastback Mustang from Arizona. We shipped it you know up to Seattle, completely tore the car apart, um, you know, and spent quite a lot of money uh, designing it all the way from the ground up. And really building him kind of his dream vehicle, mm-hmm. and then we ship that to the Middle East. To the Middle East, you ship that to the Middle East. Correct. Yes. Are there any problems with the regulation and stuff? No. Point? So, really. so we just took that into consideration as we were building the car. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain things that you can and cannot do as far as, you know, um, you know, certain motors, mm-hmm. different things like that, okay. and certain emissions kind of regulations that you have uh-huh. to do. Um, you know, but outside of that, no. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, from being a high end mm-hmm. like garage. Thing and you move to more personalized one. Yes. Doesn't it cause like problems with like scalability as well? Like yeah. how you can scale the business itself. Yeah. So I would say from the story itself, I see that mostly are you are the one that actually do the hard work and yeah. So well. ultimately, what ended up happening? So it started off where I was doing a lot of the work, gotcha. and um, when we started to transition into, I would say we were still very high end, so we were very expensive, uh-huh. um, and and that was kind of the, the transaction of you know. If we're only focusing on your car, um, you're going to need all of our attention, but you have to pay us, you know, to, to account mm. for that. And um, but ultimately, what ended up happening is, you know, once we transitioned out of just doing high end electronics, um, I did no longer had the skill set to do all the work. And so, actually, what I did is I created kind of a, a distributed network of other experts. So mm. I had an upholstery guy, I had uh, somebody that would do uh, performance work for us, I had a painter. So I had a team of you know, probably about eight different people, eight different people. Um, that allowed me, the customer would only interface with me. So the experience was 
as if I had a shop that had, you know, staff of 25 people. Um, but in reality, it was just me. And then I would kind of subcontract out the different other components. And so that allowed us to scale up more effectively mm-hmm. um, and keep costs relatively low um, and to provide the best service. So from the perspective of a business owner, you know, let's say I have an interior, an upholstery guy, mm-hmm. you know, he might want $100,000 a year to do his work. Um, and so that's you know, $100,000 of extra expenses a year that I have to take on. I have to justify that somehow. By using him as a contractor instead, I'm able to get that same level of quality. And maybe I give him $30,000 a year through our projects, but then he can work with other people for the other jobs he wants. So, so you have the flexibility itself. Exactly. Okay. So that allowed us to really scale up our service offerings, mm-hmm. still continue to provide at a very high level, uh, but maintain kind of our, our cost structure without gotcha. making it you know get too high and really having the flexibility. So it, you know, I was able to bring people on as I needed them, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so everybody kind of kind of won. How how did you go through all these thought processes as well? Because uh, do you learn this through school, or do you say it's mostly from your experience itself? Yeah, yeah. So so I studied um, business economics in undergraduate, okay. and so um, I would say I'm kind of inherently a uh, an analytical person, and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend time thinking about how can we improve processes and different things like that. But really, I would say it was just learning as I went. So. Uh, school undergraduate was great. I learned a lot, mm-hmm. but ultimately, um, kind of learning by doing right, over time. So, you know, for example, uh, this customer Dave, he initially, you know, he had a very kind of clearly defined scope of what he wanted us to provide for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, something I would say that's very entrepreneurial is learning from your customers, asking questions, and letting that guide your decision making. And so, um, by doing that, we discovered, hey, there's a whole new business opportunity here that we hadn't realized before and so we were able to pivot and do something and and i would say um they talk about that in school but i think the ability to recognize that is something you just you learn from doing it from doing it yeah but there there was there's definitely some um you know there's some skills Mm -hmm. that that i developed in school um but i would say a lot of it really is um just kind of getting out there and yeah yeah, exactly but maybe school just gives like the perspective itself like the structure itself yeah i would say the structure the frameworks Mm -hmm. you know um how how do i think about Mm -hmm. different things how do i approach different things um you know and i actually so i just went to graduate school here at uw i just finished Mm -hmm. um actually this year yeah i saw that as well yes yeah and so um you know for i would say graduate school there's many more things that are really tangible kind of tactical things that i can apply directly to my daily life especially Mm -hmm. in, in the startup space you know whether it's you know, building financial models, um, you know, selling effectively. And so not just, I think there's a very kind of interpersonal aspect of how do you sell, how do you pitch things, but also, um, you know, kind of tactically there's things that you need to make sure you touch on different things like that. And so, um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So what happened from there to, to like now? Sure. Yeah. So, um, like, what, what has it done before? Absolutely. So I, I continued to run, you know, masonry. It went really well. And then I was actually diagnosed with cancer. And so, um, you know, I had started to get really sick. And um, I went through kind of the the whole process of becoming diagnosed. And um, ultimately, you know, I was kind of faced with a decision. At that point, I think I was about 20, 25 years old. And, um, you know, I had to make the decision. Do I want to continue to try to run this business and Mm. go through chemotherapy and radiation? Mm. Or do I want to, you know, focus on getting healthy? And, you know, I wanted to continue to run the business, but I spoke with my family and you know, they really urged me to focus on your health. You know, your health is something you have once. 
Um, and so that's actually why I closed the business down was to uh, go through chemotherapy, go through radiation and really focus on getting healthy again. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went through that for about a year and I started to kind of evaluate next steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still wanted something that was very kind of entrepreneurial in spirit, but I wanted something with uh, a bit more structure. And so, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't necessarily want to just found my own business just because, um, you know, when you when you bootstrap a business and especially right out of college where you don't have resources and different things like that, it's, it's challenging. It can be really stressful. And so um, I started looking at different opportunities and, and I came across uh, an opportunity with a company called Rain Globes. And okay. uh, Rain Globes is the equivalent to a snow globe. But mm-hmm. it rains on the inside, and so it rains on the inside. It does, yeah. So, so it's a snow globe. Yeah, so it's it's a gift and a kind of souvenir item. Okay. Um, and you know, you, you flip it upside down, you sit it down on a table, and it has like a really uh, cool rain effect, and it rains over a diorama or a, you know, cool, uh, you know. Uh, I don't items. think I ever saw that once before. Yeah, so so they're they're pretty neat, and so um, these this was a an idea. Um, that was created by three co-founders, three guys that went to high school together. Okay. Uh, all you know, really successful entrepreneur, entrepreneurs. Um, they have a pretty robust intellectual property portfolio. And so um, they had developed the intellectual property, made sure that all the patents and everything that were issued, um, and they had commercialized the company up to a certain level. And their mm-hmm. goal was to bring somebody on board that could focus on scaling that business up. And so for me, it was a really unique opportunity to come alongside Uh, some really, you know, seasoned guys that have done some really great stuff, you know, been a part of IPOs and different things like that, uh, learn from them. How was it? Um, how, how was the IPO? And stuff? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was great, you know, for them. Um, you know, one of them was a part of a, a company called The Globe that IPO'd uh, and did, you know, did pretty well. And so, um, yeah, so it was a great opportunity for me to learn alongside these guys. Um, you know, one of them is an angel investor. The other one's been a part of, has launched several companies that have been acquired. And, and so... Um, you know, it, it afforded me the flexibility of like uh, learning something that's still very entrepreneurial, um, but also like a salary, you know, and be able that's to afford one. health insurance and different things like that. And so I joined that team in January of 2016. 2016. Yeah. And um, came in, you know, learned the company, um, you know, within the first year, they made me a partner in the company. So I was actually given some equity. Um, and really, we spent you know the better part of the last three years kind of just scaling the company. So, you know, I would say when I joined, we had, you know, about nine different designs. Um, now mm-hmm. the company has closer to 20 designs, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and we've increased uh, our, our footprint significantly. So, you know, we broke into the onto the eastern seaboard. So the product are available in New York. Um, you know, we uh, were in Bartell Drugs up here in Seattle. Um, and so, yeah, it's really become a pretty cool product and, and we've transitioned initially, we really focused on geographic mm-hmm. locations. So we had a Seattle design, we had mm-hmm. a catch New can York Alaska, design. yeah, New York. Um, and something that we're really incredibly excited about, we did uh, about a year ago is we started to do, do more generic designs. And so a generic design might be, you know, rubber ducky. It might uh-huh. be kind of a funny, uh, fisher, fishing person design. It might be. Um, you know, a rainbow. And, and the thought process behind those is you know, something that we discovered when we were scro- growing the company is it was difficult to break into retail in certain markets like New York if you only had a single design. You know, mm-hmm. what we found in, in speaking with customers is, you know, sure, we like this design, but we want to be able to sell five or six different products. And so really to address that, we 
create these generic designs that you could sell everywhere. And there's also a, a very seasonal element to the business. Mm-hmm. And so to combat that, we came out with more uh, generic more designs generic that could designs. sell, you know, really any time. Would you say uh, the seasonality, the season product are more, uh, result in more sales compared to the geographic one or not really? Yeah, so I would say that the, the, the generic designs are still relatively new. So the team is really still collecting data Pickles, on yeah, yeah. Uh, what the sales cycle kind of uh-huh. looks like for that. Um, you know, for, for us historically, um, you know, a bulk of our business, the holiday season, so really the fourth quarter of every year and then the summer. So mm-hmm. if you think about, you know, a geographic design like Seattle, um, when do the most tourists come to Seattle? It's during the summer when it's nice. And so um, that's really where the geographic designs, I think, do incredibly well. Um, but if you think about, you know, we have a rubber ducky with a rainbow. That's something that can, or sorry, with an umbrella. Mm-hmm. That's something that can be positioned as a birthday gift, as a baby shower gift, um, as a, you know, really as anything. So that's something that really can sell any time of year. And so our mm-hmm. expectation is that, um, you know, we, we would see revenue increase. Uh, but more peak, stable. Exactly. Off-peak times, off-peak times. Uh, relative to the, to the geographic locations. Interesting. Okay, so I've provided some questions as well. Yes. Let's go through this. So, um, what would you think is like your biggest mistake when you start the masonry group itself? Yeah. And if you think something you can change as well. Sure. So my, my, my greatest mistake. Um, you know, I, I would actually say, so uh, it's not necessarily right when I started. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say is a few months after we opened our physical location and um, I had some customers that reached out to me to do some custom lighting for their cars. And um, they were all you know, really anxious, really excited about it. Uh, I gave them a pretty good deal. And um, I had a pretty clearly defined timeline of how I like to do things. Um, but they said, Hey, you know, we'll give you, we'll pay you in advance to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can fit us all in on this time. And I think I prioritized making that money then and there instead of sticking to kind of the policies that I had outlined. Mm -hmm. And so it turned a situation into kind of a headache and a pretty stressful one because, um, you know, you create policies and guidelines and things like that for a reason. And, um, when I failed to adhere to those, uh, it opened me up to, um, to kind of just, yeah, kind of a stressful situation. And so, uh, that ended up being you know a really tough situation, and then I would say, kind of what goes alongside that is um, really controlling expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, especially when you're a small business and, and you're trying to get going, you have a desire to you know really overpromise, and you want to you want to close the sale. I can give you everything. I can give you the world. Um, and what I've since found is, we're it's much better for us to be measured in what we're saying we can do, uh, and really to underpromise and overdeliver, and let you know let that kind of drive the customer experience. Um, and so those are things that I just had to learn. I was young. I didn't know that yet. Um, so those are things, you know, I had to learn. How, had. how old were you when you started the group again? So I was 25. 25. But um, I would say, or, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was 20, 22. 20, about 25 was the one. 25. When is, you ended. Yeah, 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 it was about when I ended. So, um, yeah, so I would say, um, you know, the other one is make sure to get everything in writing. You know, like a contract, I think is important. Clearly define the timeline, mm-hmm. customer expectations. Because I think what happens a lot of time with customers is we're just not controlling expectations. So they expect something either in a certain time or a certain price or whatever that might be. 
um, and which is again open ourselves up for a stressful situation when we don't control those types of things. So uh, you had experiences uh, starting a company as well, and if, for example, someone like me, mm -hmm. I want to start a company myself, yes, would you say marketing, finance, or like other aspect of the business? Which one do you think is the most important part of it? Um, I would say, right, I guess this could kind of fall into the bucket of marketing. Knowing your customer, knowing your, customer. I think is is probably the most important thing that you can do. Really, um, you know, if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, I think a lot of time we go and we have a hypothesis, we have an idea, we think, hey, this will be a really great product, um, and that's one data point. But mm -hmm. ultimately, I think the success of of a project or whatever we we're working on is going to be determined by um, customers' acceptance of it, right? And so, um, I think listening to customer feedback like you can go in there with a hypothesis and say this is what i think is going to work and you start doing it but really be receptive to feedback that you're hearing from customers and um, if they're telling you something listen in on it i think um, really kind of try to dig deep and understand what they're getting at because there can be insight and so i think a prime example of that is um, you know we started off just doing high in electronics that was our hypothesis that that would be successful and it was up to a certain level but i think There's a listening to the customer and determining and understanding, oh, he's frustrated because these guys aren't focusing on him. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's frustrated because he's an individual that has a day job. And right now he's managing, you know, somebody doing electronics here, somebody doing my upholstery here, somebody doing my paint here. That's it. That's a, um, a tough situation for him. And so by really actively, actively listening, I was able to determine, well, I can take all that on and be compensated for it and carve out. A place in the marketplace for myself that nobody else had at that time and so um, i would say you know the finance the accounting kind of the marketing all that stuff you can figure out right mm -hmm. i think but the ability to really listen to customers will never you know lead you uh, lead you wrong would you say that's a skill set or more sort of like talent is it something you hone i think it's a skill time? set it's you a know skill set i think um i think it really boils down to just active listening okay. you know um i think sure there are some people that kind of inherently have that ability. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, any person that's going to really be successful in business, that's something that they do and they do a lot of. Because uh, ultimately, I think you just, you let your customers drive your decision-making. You make you make your decisions because this is what the customer wants, is what's best for the customer and so on and so forth. So uh, most of the audience here will be like college students. Okay. Uh, around my age as well. Great. I'm assuming. And... So a lot of us actually take like classes, like business classes uh -huh. and entrepreneurship classes as well. And most of us wonder, is it better for us to just directly go and start a business? Or would you say it's better for us to go to the workforce first and gain some experience? Sure, yeah. Um, what's your take on that? I don't I don't think there's any right or wrong way. I think it depends on the person. Um, so, you know, I guess to take a step back. So I was just in grad school. Um, everything that I was learning in grad school I thought was much more impactful because I was running a business at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so you learn something and not only it's not, you're not just learning something kind of in the abstract, you're thinking about it. How am I going to apply this today? And so I think whenever you can think about how to apply your learnings immediately in a very, in a meaningful way is always going to be incredibly valuable. Um, I think, so me personally, you know, I worked for a place in, in college, but really, Once I graduated college, I went directly into my own business. And um, there are some lessons that are incredibly valuable from that. I, I think 
a lot of the the fundamental skills that you need to develop and, and even just you know discipline and you know different things like that you develop through that process um, but as I would say the other side of that coin is that um, you're very under resourced right so I don't know if you've read there's a book called founders dilemmas mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's a great book I'd really recommend it. Founders dilemma yes and and what it talks about is what are all the dilemmas or the trade-offs that we uh, when we're founding a business have. And so, you know, one of those is timing, right? So let's say you finish your undergraduate and you go work at Amazon and you're making hundred K a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can spend the next five years saving money. You can spend the next five years developing uh, an understanding of how this business works at scale, develop insight, develop a network. I mean, those are all things that when you go and launch your own business are going to be that much more valuable to you. You have a network if you're looking for investors. You have money to live off of to fund your venture for, for a few years. You have an understanding of, of how to do something at scale, right? And so those are all things that are, can provide prove to be incredibly valuable. Um, whereas if you found that business right out of undergraduate, you don't have those resources. You So maybe you can't necessarily build the company in the right, the right way or the way that you would have in an ideal scenario because you don't have resources, different things like that. So really ultimately it's trade-offs. I think you can be successful doing either or, um, you know, for me, I've since I've recently transitioned into a more corporate environment, um, to be able to get maybe some more of those resources to continue to develop my network and different things like that. Um, so re- it's ultimately, I think it, it depends, um, you know, it depends on the person. Depends on the person. Yeah. How would you differentiate the corporate environment and like the startup entrepreneur environment? Yeah. Start your own business. Yeah. So um, I would say like if there's one thing, you know, about the startup space, it's that your success is ultimately dependent on you. Right. So okay. um, it, it's discipline. You know, it's getting up every day. There's nobody calling you telling you, hey, you've got to be at work at nine. You know, and so you have to the onus is really on you to take ownership and say, I'm going to drive this forward. And so. I would say it requires a it requires discipline. It, it requires vision um, for this is what I this is what I want to build, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, whereas you know a lot of corporate environments don't so much. You know a lot of people, and, and ultimately I think that's why there's entrepreneurs. There's people that um, you know even myself. I don't function well not having something I'm really aggressively driving towards. I'm a very imaginative person. And so I always like to think about, Oh, what, what can I do this? I like to build things. Right. And so, um, I think there are corporate environments where you can leverage similar skill sets, you know? So, um, you know, problem solving is something you do a ton of in startups, you know? Um, and some corporations you do some, you don't, it's again, I think, uh, the answer is it depends Depends more often than not. Um, but I would say, you know, uh, there, there's, Definitely value. I mean, there's a lot of people that it, that are, um, you know, doing great things like Amazon and, and these various companies or that have startups now that started their careers in a corporate environment. You know, so you can certainly do it uh, either way. Would you say it's much harder to actually balance your life when you're a startup owner? Absolutely. Like yeah, I think I think that goes back to the fact that it's on you, right? So, um, you know, it. it If there's a one single skill that I could say, excuse me, that startups really help me develop, it's it's the understanding and the ability to just get things done. You know, in the startup space, mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where you work in ambiguity. There's not things aren't clearly defined. Um, you're learning as you go. You have to just figure it out. I would say 
you know, when you're in a startup, especially a smaller startup, you tend to be much more of a generalist. And so you maybe have a wide breadth of skills, but mm-hmm. your, um, your expertise in each of those maybe isn't the deepest. Um, because you just have to know how to do everything. And so I think a prime example of that is, you know, what's running with running Wranglers for the last several years. You know, I managed, um, you know, brick and mortar retail where we had, you know, several hundred locations. I managed, you know, product design and development. I managed all of e-commerce, you know, and so I had to have knowledge and insight in kind of each of those. When you go into a corporate uh, environment, you'll have one of those that you need to do. Exactly. Um, And so, some people don't like that, you know. Um, some people do, some people don't. It, it just really depends on the person. Are there any preference for you? Which one do you prefer? Uh, so I, I definitely prefer kind of the it, it 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 it's not exclusive to a startup environment, um, but something that's much more multi multidisciplinary or more of a generalist type of thing. Um, because you know, there's times when I spent time developing designing ads for our products, mm-hmm. um, and then the next day I'm running you know an analysis in Excel, and so. Um, I appreciate the ability to use, you know, the left and right side of my brain. Um, I think that makes you more well-rounded. I think it forces you to think about and look at problems from multiple perspectives. Um, yeah, so I certainly, uh, I would say I'm, I'm partial to doing things that are, uh, you know, not not as mundane, not the same task mm-hmm. every day. So you mentioned to me that you had a chemotherapy that went. Yes. And how how is it going so far? Yeah, so... Um, I've been in remission now for, geez, for four years, almost four years. And so, um, yeah, the chemo or the cancer has been clear. You know, it's usually the five-year mark is kind of when everything's good. You Uh you you shouldn't have any any further issues. Um, So, yeah, so as much as I know, it's it's gone pretty well so far. Um, You know, it was tough at the time Uh to go through it, but, um, you know. Do you think that by itself changed you as a person? Are there anything that changed from you? Yeah, I would say, um, well, so it, it's interesting. So my older brother actually had cancer too. Um, okay. And he had, so I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so very similar cancers. He was, he was 16 years old when he, when old. his was caught. And so um, I would say he was at like such a young age that it really kind of transformed him because, you know, at six, 15, 16 years old, you're really developing who you're going to be. Mm. Um, I would say you know, we're always constantly evolving and changing, but, you know, at like 24, 25, 26, we're, we kind of are who we are to, to a degree. And so, um, I would say, I wouldn't say that there was a major shift in like who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say there was a, a significant takeaway, which was empathy, you know, and really, um, that can help in business, honestly, a lot, but just empathy in life. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I was, You know, it's 25 years old, diagnosed with cancer, um, but I had family and friends that all came alongside me and really helped out and supported me. You know, I was, uh, I'm a high school track and field coach as well, and like that, the their booster club gave me money to help pay for medical bills and stuff like that. And so I was so well supported. And something that really stuck out to me is I remember uh, in some of my chemotherapy sessions, um, you know, my mom would come to one, my fiance would come to another, her grandma would come to another. There's always somebody to take mm-hmm. me. And you sit in this big room and you see all these other people and they don't have anybody there to help them. You know, they don't have anybody there to just talk to them or, or be there with them. And so you really do develop like this simple this sense of like, yeah, my situation's bad, but that person's is way worse, you know? And so um, 
it, I would say it's very humbling, but it's also uh, you just develop a greater sense of empathy for what other people are going through. Um, and, and that's not something that um, I think that's something you have to constantly kind of remind yourself of. Like, empathy. yeah, we it's easy to forget that we've been in certain situations. Um, and I was just speaking with somebody about this over the weekend mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, he had uh, pancreatic cancer. And so it, you, you see someone, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember what that's like, you know. And so. Yeah, I would say that was my greatest kind of takeaway. And you mentioned that it's a strong as well in business, which is quite controversial. Currently. Like some people say that the strength in business is more so like the alpha male itself. Yeah, but yeah. There's a, a part opposite thought as well that it's empathy. Mm-hmm. And what's your take on that? Why would you say that empathy is a strength itself in business? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, if we're going back to um, listening to your customers, right? So I think... There's, I think there's a difference between listening and active listening, right? I think listening with active listening really is, is listening with intent to mm. really understand. Mm. Um, and I think you can sympathize with somebody or you can feel sorry for them and you can kind of understand. But empathize really is putting yourself in their shoes, right? And so um, let's say a customer has a pain point. Um, when you empathize, you feel that pain point. You make that pain point your own. And, and that allows you to... I think more effectively look at things from their perspective, more effectively understand, okay, what solution would I really want if I was this person? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's less about, you know, how can I just make a buck or make a dollar off of somebody? But it's really about creating um, a solution that really addresses that person's pain point. And it's my belief that that's how you build um, a, build a business, business, a really successful, and, and not just a successful business, but a sustainable business, right? A, a business that, you know, Think about from the perspective of the customer that they use your product, they use your service, and they're like, man, this is exactly what I would have made for myself. This is exactly what I want. They're going to go and share that with other people, Mm -hmm. right? So it's much less about it just being kind of a transaction, uh, an exchange of Mm -hmm. money for a product, and it's more about, man, this this brand intimately knows me or I identify with this, and now they want to share that with their friends and their family. And um, I think that's how you start to build equity and a brand um, and you build something that's much more sustainable point of view and do you have any tips for us young people as well yeah the one that's starting out that's still figuring out life as well yeah um so i turned 31 um a few months ago and i would say right around my 30th birthday one of the uh one of the greatest things that i realized is that there's, there's no rush, you know? So I think when I was, yeah, I think when I was in high school, um, I was like, man, okay, by 30 years old, I'll be rich and I'll have this and I'll do that. And and I think those things are great. Um, but what I've come to learn is that everything kind of happens in its own time. And so, uh, to give you, to give you an example. So, you know, I had my business, uh, and it was, I was growing it and it was going well. And then I got sick. And so I was essentially forced to close Mm -hmm. the business. And, um, if your if your goal is by 27 to be able to buy a car, like buy a Lamborghini or buy a house or whatever it is, um, that that life event has completely thrown you off track, right? And um, but if your if your goal is to build something that's sustainable and to focus on kind of the process, then you use that as an opportunity to learn and improve yourself and say, okay, what lessons? So like. I believe that I'm a better businessman today than I was or I would have been without going through that experience, right? And so um, 
you're going to have bumps on the road, you know, on the road. Uh, you'll have to learn things over time, accepting that that's a part of the process, that that's actually going to ultimately make you a better person. Um, and you're know, just kind of taking it one step at a time. So it, it's, it's not a, mm. a super clear um, or, you know, really well communicated uh, point of advice, but it's, you know, it's an interesting point of advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think things happen kind of in their time. Gotcha. Right. Um, I, I've, started to believe that kind of we are where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. Right. And, and things come along at the right time. And so, you know, again, if I wouldn't have closed that business, I wouldn't have had the the opportunity to work with the co-founders and the partners I've had for the last four years. Right. And to build those relationships and to work with those people and learn as much as I did and work in, you know, a larger startup, uh, you know, that had raised capital and different things like that and take all of that, you know, and, and, and so everything I think happens for, for a reason, for I think, reason. yeah, and I, I think um, as long as we have, like, maybe it's your North Star, right? Maybe it's, I know that I'm working towards this thing, even if it doesn't happen in the way you envisioned it or in the time that you envisioned it, if you're continuing to work on it, you're going to get there, um, and you'll probably get there in a much uh, in a much more fulfilling way. You know, I think there's, there's like a meme that shows, you know, what success looks like, and people think it's like, you know, a dot here and a dot here, and it's a straight line. And, <laughs> I saw that before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and in reality, it's it's all this. It's just all Jim Lee there. That's where you develop character. That's where you develop relationships. You develop friends. You you learn, um, and, and that's that is what it looks like. But I think it's so much more worth it that yeah. way. You remind me of a speech that Steve Jobs uh, gave once oh. about like how when you go through life, you don't really understand how the dots plays out. But when you look back, you just see everything got connected. Yeah, and yeah. I, I 100% that, 100% believe that that's because if you have your north star, right? If you have this thing that you're working towards, even if you get way off track and you're over there, even if you have cancer, even if you you know lose everything, and no matter what it is, you're still working in that general direction. You're going to get there. You know, I, I was an athlete and um, in high school and college, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a quote: "Inch by inch, it's a cinch." yard by yard it's hard and so like when we're thinking about making these huge jumps in our lives it's it's difficult to do that but when we're just focused on putting the next foot in front of the other how am i better today what small goal am i accomplishing today um you look back and before you know you know it you've covered so much ground um and and you've built like a really cool compelling story for yourself so what's your next step after this yeah so so that you just get a job in yeah so you know one one of our big goals uh, with Wranglobes was mm-hmm. to uh, scale the company up to a certain level. Um, you know, in manufacturing, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it can be challenging. And so our goal is to eventually hand the company off. And so we, on October 1st, we signed an exclusive licensing deal with a company called HUSA. And okay. so uh, they've actually taken over the bulk of our business. And so mm-hmm. that was you know, really just a great time for me to transition. So I've transitioned in, into a role, uh, you know, with a, a local tech company uh, doing business development. And so for me, it's a really great opportunity uh, to get more experience working in kind of a more traditional corporate environment. But this is an organization that is currently uh, undergoing some changes. And something that's really important to me is to go where I can make an impact Mm-hmm. And go where I can help things change. And so even though this is a huge corporation, uh, it's a very kind of entrepreneurial time. It's a time okay. of transition, a time of change. Um, and so I'm excited to be a part of Super that. Powerful. And then you know, really it's thinking about, you know, how I can kind of help and inspire. That's why I joined, you know, joined you is have more discussions. Share. Yeah, absolutely. You know, share what I've learned. Um, you know, I think 
it helps me and hopefully helps other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, one day, you know, I'll probably I'll, I'll launch, you know, another venture. I think uh, one day I'd love to. Are launch. there any start point in time? Like, oh, when I'm this age, I want to launch something. You know, or... I think right now I, I'm an entrepreneur you know, mm-hmm. at heart. And so even when I'm in uh, an organization, I'm always going to be thinking about ideas. You know, gotcha. I'm always going to identify, oh, this is a problem. Like, can I solve it? Um, and I have a checklist of, you know, is am I the person to solve it? Is this the right time to solve it? Do I have the resources to solve it? All of those types of things. Um, and so I would say there's not a, a predefined timeline, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, knowing myself, I'm sure I'll have something here something sooner rather than later. And, um, you know, and eventually I'd love to, you know, to invest in businesses invest. and, um, you know, continue to, I do some consulting and different things like that. So I help other startups um you know and yeah and business development as well yeah absolutely and how do you you mentioned that you always get this content idea as well mm-hmm. and how, how do you think you get these ideas because for me i know that i want to start business mm-hmm. but for i'm still confused on like what business to start by yeah. itself yeah i would say i look at it kind of twofold so um one i would say on one hand i'm looking at like what are my passions what i'm interested in mm-hmm. and how can i monetize things like that and so you know i like i said i used to do a lot of web design web development branding work and stuff like that Uh, and so that was an opportunity to help out businesses but also help to create kind of a brand and a narrative around that brand early stage and so those are more like kind of side hustle things that i've done in the Uh past um but i think i think being curious curious. is something that's really important And, and what i mean by that is um seeing things how they how they work and asking why and, and for me, because I'm an analytical person, uh, after I ask why, why is this like that? Um, the next question is, can we make it better? Right. And so that, that kind of awesome. begins the thought process of like, okay, could this turn into something here? Um, you know, and so I think a prime example of that is, you know, I grew up with a single mother and she always struggled with um, finding a really trustworthy mechanic. And, you know, over the, because I'm a car guy, mm-hmm. people always have communicated to me that, oh man, I wish I could find a good mechanic. Mm-hmm. And so um, I really started to kind of dive into it. And, and you know, the data shows that most people don't like going to mechanics. They don't like dealerships. They feel like it's kind why, of Why is that? I'm sorry? Why is that? Yeah, it's a few different reasons. So if you're looking at like dealerships as a whole, um, if you look at a dealership service department, they have you know, two kind of primary ways to drive revenue, right? So okay. they either need to bring more people in the door, right? So they need increase kind of the, the number of people that are coming in that's difficult to do because there's a lot of dealerships mm-hmm. or you need to charge more money per person right and and there's kind of an information dissymmetry between what i know as the owner of a dealership or as a service person and what you may know as the owner of the car right so okay. let's say you bring your car into me and you say mm-hmm. um you know it the steering wheel is vibrating uh, my me as the owner of the dealership or, or the service person knows that okay well they might need you know tire rotation uh, they might need to balance they might need to replace their tires they might need to um, swap out their brake rotors right so I, I have a pretty clearly defined list of, of potential uh, issues that it can mm-hmm. be you don't know that right so I could let's say it's you know the tires need to be balanced mm-hmm. um, that should only cost fifty bucks or, or less. Um, you not knowing that and me needing to increase revenue, increase I could revenue. say, hey, we need to swap out your brake rotors instead. You don't know any better. And instead of charging you $50, I charge you $500. Right? Does it and happen so, a lot in 
It does. It's actually pretty common because, um, you know, from a service perspective, they're, uh, they need to drive revenue. They need to bring more money in so that they're compensated a lot of the time based off of um, performance, right? And so it actually does happen. So there's kind of this inherent distrust that a lot of people have with going to these places, right? And so um, it doesn't doesn't need to be like that. It doesn't need to, in my opinion, it doesn't need to be like that, right? And so actually when I was here at school, that's what I spent, you know, my entire program really focusing on was a startup that, um, you know, really kind of takes the pain out of automotive service. You know, something that a lot of people dread going to have their car service or maintained. And our goal is, again, being empathetic. How can we create a service that you enjoy using or that, you know, you use and you feel really good about? You That's know? why empathy is really exactly. important. Yeah. And, and again, you know, like that was developed from an insight that I had from my mom. Again, from your mom. Yeah. And so that's, what, again, where the empathy comes from is um, what I want my mom to be taken advantage of. Mm. You know, I, I want to build this. So when you actually serve a customer, you are thinking about you're serving your mom as well. Absolutely. Thinking yeah. what if that person is your mom. Yep. Exactly. So, and and I mean that's just me personally. Huh? Yeah, obviously different. I think people. that's a really powerful way to see it. Yeah, I mean it's who's somebody that's impactful. It, I just I think it it makes it a little bit more real, right? Like you can have customer personas and you can look at, okay, you know, we've got this person that does X, Y, and Z. But I think when you can relate it to somebody that you know, uh-huh. then you're I think you're gonna work a little bit harder and drive a little bit more aggressively towards really trying to solve that problem for them. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah.